0: Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. What a wonderful verse that is about our Lord Jesus. In just a few lines, the Apostle Paul gives us a thumbnail sketch of his coming, of his demonstration of God's presence with him by the Spirit, the witness he had by angels, both heavenly and human angels, human messengers, which is what the word means in Greek, that they then preached him among the nations. He was believed on in all the world, and we saw from different parts of the world, even this morning, how that is everywhere. Is in glory now and will return so that everyone knows he is Lord and Saviour. That verse is like a red rag before a bull when you give it to a missionary on Mission Sunday. But I want us to stand back and look at it and see where this verse fits into Paul's letter to Timothy in Ephesus. Because Ephesus was a place which had great religious significance for the region. Now I'm going to, before I look at Ephesus, I want to share just a little bit about a situation that has a parallel to what we will see in Ephesus and then draw parallels to ourselves from the, the circumstances I've been working in in Central Asia. So if I could have the, the first slide please. So how is Jesus going to be made known in strongly religious places? And here's a photo, again, next slide please, of my wife's niece and her uh, cousin, and that's Mariam in October 2020. She got COVID two days before she had to vacate the apartment that she was renting. She'd be given one month's notice by the landlord and she was absolutely sick. Now her uh, cousin and family live a thousand miles to the south, they're Muslim, she's living in a cosmopolitan city, Kazan. When they heard that she was unwell they arranged uh, for medical care to be brought to her every evening. So a nurse turned up and uh, she was uh, laden with all sorts of intravenous fluids and other things to give her. Um, A man whom she'd never met but who was uh, had a connection with the village in Astrakhan where she came from, who who was a Muslim man. He went and he collected various uh, uh, provisions from people that he knew in Kazan and delivered them to her door. And over a period of five days, she went from being seriously, seriously ill to recovering almost miraculously because her family, who are Muslims, took such care of their own. And she's very thankful to them, as you can understand. Now, next next slide, please. The place where we live in Tardiston is full of these grand mosques. That's a picture of the mosque in Kazan. It is an enormous, it is gold, 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 Uh, leaf on it. It has marble. It it is an absolutely opulent building. And Islam looks very, very impressive in Tatarstan. In another city, Nizhnaqam, so you can see an equally impressive mosque. How will the gospel reach people when they are seen by the power of their religion all around them? And as I shared earlier, it is a powerful religion. Because when I sat down with a Muslim man, He immediately went for me. How does the gospel reach in that context? Well, next slide, please. We can learn from the church in Ephesus. So, Paul is writing to Timothy, whom he's left in Ephesus. And Ephesus was really important in the first century world. So, that is a map showing the spread of Christianity. Uh, by the middle of the second century. And you'll see that the city of Ephesus on the coast of Turkey, as it was then, is right in the epicentre of the gospel work there. Paul spent two and a half years there preaching, and they had such an impact on the city that so many people were turning to Christ and giving up idol worship that the silversmiths of the city were losing trade on the selling of the little statues that they made of Artemis. Who here has been to Paris? Okay, Leave your hand up if you've bought one of those little, or you've got a souvenir, one of those little Eiffel Towers. Yeah, quite a lot of you, isn't it? See, can you imagine what would happen to the Parisian economy if they could no longer sell any little Eiffel Towers? can you imagine the uproar that there would be from the various uh, business vendors and tourist markets who sell those stuff? Well, that's what happened in Ephesus. Um, And and the city, uh, it it got so bad that the silversmiths started this riot and they ended up getting Paul run out of town. So Paul then goes uh, to uh, Macedonia and northern Greece and he writes this letter. So next slide, we'll just show that. Uh, Paul, on his first missionary journey, uh, where he went through Turkey and then came back and he stayed in in uh, Ephesus just briefly on his first journey, saw the importance of it, and said, I'm coming back. Next next missionary journey, about uh, 53, 50, 58 AD, he spends two and a half years there, and that's where we get the record of his riot in Acts 19. And uh, he, he then has to go to Macedonia where he, uh, while he waits out the aftermath of this riot and he leaves Timothy there and he writes this letter to Timothy to tell him how to get on with the work of pastoring the church that is in Ephesus. And that is the context for these these words that we've just read. So next slide please. This is Ephesus today. Now you'll, you'll see it's nowhere near the sea. But that's because the coastline has receded. Uh, The geologists tell us that as the uh, ice age uh, ended, the mini ice age uh, several thousand years ago, that the removal of the weight of the ice means that the whole of Turkey is rising. And so therefore, the coast is actually receding further. So Ephesus is no longer on the coast but it was then, and you can see, next slide please, it was a city with great facilities. So these are the sort of stadia or amphitheatres at which Paul almost certainly would have preached here. Um, And indeed it was a culture where patrons used to um, provide patronage for great speakers. They didn't have Netflix or YouTube. What did they do for entertainment? They went and listened to great orators in these public marketplaces. And that's where Paul uh, and others preached. And so they had this huge impact, but it was famous for something else. Next slide, please. This temple, the temple of Artemis, also known as Diana. And you can see this is an uh, an architect's reconstruction of what they think it looks like based on the ruins that are still there and the foundations are, are still in place. And what you can see is that it is held up by all these pillars Pillars everywhere. The pillars are quite close to one another. And anywhere from within Ephesus, you can look and you can see the temple and the statue of Artemis, which is held up by the pillars. And here's a close-up of that statue. Next slide, please. She is a fertility goddess. You see, why was religion so popular in the ancient world? Well, one of the reasons was because it allowed people to indulge their senses. Where did you get your meat in the ancient world? Well, you got it at the temples where they offered the meat in sacrifices to the local deities. And Artemis was huge business. So all the meat that came from the city, you went there, you'd have a barbecue, you'd enjoy yourself. But it also had temple um, prostitutes, both male and female. And the the thinking behind fertility cults was that if we engage in fertility acts, the gods are watching, they'll get excited and they'll send the rain and the good crops and and give us herds that are, are productive. So it sort of works for people who want pleasure. Can you see that? That's why it was such a powerful religion. That's why people were very happy to have religion in the ancient world. Paul comes along and he preaches the reason you love and enjoy life is because God made you. And he made relationships and he made them special and he made uh, marriage, husband and wife and they should be faithful to each other. And it totally wipes out fertility, religion and the cultic practices associated with these churches. And yet, of course, it's so much more fulfilling for those who follow Christ and see that the maker's instructions are indeed the best way to live. So next slide, please. These churches would meet in people's homes. And this is um, a picture of one of the homes and the frescoes that were uh, in those homes. And some of the wealthier members of uh, the churches in Ephesus had um, homes that would have a room about the size of where the pillars line here, and you could fit sixty or seventy people into these um, rooms and that is how churches got established throughout the ancient world now it 's a little bit different but not uh, but only by size to what 's going on in Kazan where someone 's meeting in their apartment and so people who had substantial means and bigger properties, they became the hosts for churches. And they would also have churches meeting in smaller homes as well. And that's the last slide, I think. Thanks. Okay, so that brings us to our passage. Go back to uh, verse 14, chapter 3. Paul says, Although I hope to come to you soon, because remember, he's in Greece waiting for things to quieten down so that he can get back. I'm writing to you, Timothy, these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now, immediately before this, he's given a whole lot of instructions as to how uh, elders and deacons are to to conduct themselves. And if you remember, the deacons' roles in particular were to look after the practical needs of the community. And if you go back to Acts chapter 6, when the church was first established in Jerusalem, there were so many both um, Greek-speaking Hellenic Jews coming on board, as well as the the Hebraic speaking Jews, that um, there was an issue with the widows of the uh, Greek speaking Jews, and there was a concern that they weren't being looked after properly in the distribution of the bread by the church. And so they appointed seven deacons, all of them Greek names, to look after it, and they served practically. The, uh, meeting the needs of the people in their church. And one of the consequences of that is that people all around Jerusalem saw the Christians caring for each other in a really practical, helpful way. They saw them bearing the hatchet on racism, that the, the, uh, the Hebrew-speaking Jews were not holding it against uh, or treating as inferior the Greek-speaking Jews. And indeed, the appointment of seven Greek men, not, not Hebrew men, look after it sent a loud signal to the watching world that Christianity is serious about including people from all different backgrounds. And so because of that people were flocking into the church and it got so bad as far as the Jewish authorities were concerned that they were trying to shut down the preachers because thousands and thousands of people were joining them even though they'd made it an offence illegal against the Jewish religion to do so. Why were people joining? because they saw the love of Christians for each other. They saw it worked out in practice, and they appointed practical people to look after that. So in our letter here, Paul has just finished giving a lot of information about how deacons are to conduct themselves and how the church is to care for one another. And that's why this uh, phrase is so important in verse 15. Uh, So if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Or God's family. Now, this is the connection to the story I told you at the beginning. Mariam was a family member of her community. Even though she was a thousand miles away, she was in need and they met her need. And, And it was really quite overwhelming for me, you know, as a Christian looking on saying, Christians don't have the monopoly on care. It's really impressive when you see that. Well, that's what God's family is. God's family is a family. And, and one of the things that we must be doing is looking after each other, and if we look after each other, then the last part of verse fifteen will true. Will true? He says, "God's household, which is the church of the living God." If you're a member of, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're a member of Jesus' church. So you are part of God's household. And then look what he says: the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now this is a real surprise. If I asked you which is more foundational, the church or the truth of the gospel on which the church is built, I won't ask you to put your hands up, but I'm sure most of you would say the truth is the important thing, isn't it? And the church is a result of it. And that is true, but Paul doesn't say that here. What Paul says here is that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. To us, that seems a bit strange. But if you lived in Ephesus, it wouldn't. Because what they saw was the pillars holding up the statue of the goddess Diana. And the whole world could see that Diana was the great goddess in that part of the world. And indeed, the chant at the riot against Paul was, Great is uh, the goddess Artemis chanted again and again. Paul is saying the church holds up the truth of the gospel for the world to see. Now that means for you as a church, you are holding up the truth of Jesus' salvation and lordship for everybody in this community. How you conduct yourselves, how you care for each other, how you speak, how you forgive each other, how you resolve conflict. We don't pretend that everything's smooth and harmonious. We're sinners. We heard that and we confessed that this morning. But we are forgiven sinners. We've been reconciled with the Lord Jesus and we have a, a Lord who teaches us how to extend forgiveness to others because we know how wonderful it is to be forgiven and to be restored ourselves. And so we do that to each other. That is so sorely needed in the world. I have looked with despair on what is going on in Ukraine and Russia at the moment. Because you know what's happening? Both sides are getting more and more entrenched. The whole situation is escalating. Pride on both sides is just rise, is ramping up. And it's getting worse and worse. And we do fear the worst possible outcome if it follows on this trajectory. Humility is needed. Reconciliation is needed. Where will the world see what that looks like? In the church. And that's why mission works all over the world. That's why in all the different countries that we saw this morning, there are Christians gathering and they are preaching Christ and they are loving each other and they're loving their neighbours. And as they do that, Christ is held up. So mission is not just for missionaries out there. You, as a church, are a mission church. You are holding up Christ in this community. And I will pray that on the... uh Queen's Platinum Jubilee weekend, that you have many people come and that they taste how good it is to be cared for by you and to celebrate the, the, the foundation of the Queen's faith, which is Jesus, and to see the goodness that there is in being in a community of people who are forgiven by the Lord Jesus and reach out to others with that same message of reconciliation. You are doing mission, and all of the missionaries that you are supporting, they're extensions of that same principle. They're not doing it on your behalf. They're just doing it in other places and they couldn't do it without your support. So I want to thank you as a church for all the support you give to various missionaries. I want to, but I want to also point you to your mission here. You are doing it and you have wonderful opportunity as you practically care for one another. And do that. People will see it. Don't hide it. I mean, don't trumpet it either and be big-headed and arrogant. But people will see it when you care for each other well. And that will draw people to come and know the living God who in the Lord Jesus reconciled us to himself to make us no less than his brothers and sisters, children of the God of all the universe. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son and he willingly came and died to reconcile us to you. And we thank you that we have that wonderful message to hold out to others. I thank you for this church and I ask you that you will bless their efforts to reach out to the community, especially with the Platinum Jubilee celebrations. We pray that many people might see Help the people of St. John's Downshed Hill look after and love one another and that they might want to know what that looks like. And Lord, we pray for all the missionaries that we heard about this morning and we ask that you will help them to build the churches of which they are part to also be reaching out with the good news of Jesus, some in very extremely religious places. But we know that if people from Ephesus can come to faith, then they can come to faith anywhere in the world. And we ask that you will glorify his name forever. Amen.